Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. Our hope is you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of everything you hear. For more great resources like this, go to trptampa.com. In this season, the series on wholeness, and Caleb set us up on week one talking about sozo, and how when we talk about are you saved, see the problem is we, we have church lingo, and if you've been around church very long, you kind of, you learn the lingo, and then sometimes you forget the nuances behind it. We ask, are you saved? And a lot of times what we mean uh, is did you, did you say a prayer? Did you start a relationship with Jesus? But we un- Caleb was unpacking that to be saved, the word sozo is to be healed, whole, set free, delivered. There's so much more richness than just did someone lead you to Christ. It's the f- unpacking the full expression of the gift that Jesus is for us. In week two, we talked about how there's no condemnation in Christ, how your sin nature was crucified. There's not a fight within you between your old nature, the sin nature, and the new Jesus that's living in you. You have a new heart. You have a new heart. And how the power of God is bringing healing and wholeness to the physical soma, the body. Last week, we talked about how in order to truly see God move, we have to have wholeness at home. Part of our challenge is we're trying to get peace and wholeness in our city, but it's not in our home. If it doesn't start at home, you can't give what you don't have, and you can't have a city that has peace if there's no peace in the homes. And so today, I want to talk about how truth brings freedom, right? How do you have peace at home if you don't have truth? If you've not encountered the spirit of truth? If you've not encountered Jesus in a way that brings you out of false beliefs? And there's part that as we, as we look at what happens in your spirit, your spirit gets renewed when you get sozoed, when you get saved. But there's a part that the soul is almost this mystical connection between your spirit and the physical, right? They don't actually know where your mind is. They can measure the effects of what happens in your mind by the, the, the neural connections in your brain that fire, but they don't know where your mind actually is. I would propose that it's the connection between the spirit and the body. And that what happens, your spirit sometimes has to tell your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, what to think. Right? David in the psalm says, oh, my soul, rejoice. It prays, right? His spirit is having to tell his soul what to do. Because the patterns that are stuck in your body, right? Science will tell us that if you stay locked in fear... The neural connections in your brain go from, are are reinforced in your fear center. The areas of your amygdala and areas will, it grows. You've built an eight-lane superhighway to your fear center. 
and they've actually shown that your, the front of your brain, which is your problem-solving area, shrinks. So the thing that you need to solve your problem is problem, the so problem-solving part of your brain. It atrophies just like an unused muscle because you've stayed in fear first. The thing is, your brain will hit fear before it can hit. The, the speed to your fear centers is faster than the speed to your problem-solving centers. It takes intentionality to go, I'm going to solve problems rather than just stay in fear. In John 4.16, Jesus gives us a key, a clue. It says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I would propose to you that this is in a specific order for a reason. You need to know the way to know the truth to have life. The problem in society is they're trying to find life without the way. Right? New Age is all about spirituality just without Jesus. So you get into error because you're trying to find the end result that we are all wired for. From the Garden of Eden, we are wired for life. But what happens is we go, and some of it's out of ignorance, some of it's intentionality, but I'm not going to go the way. Right? Jesus talks about how the robber comes over the fence. He, he doesn't go through the door, the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the way. There's one way to experience truth. Right? So people are looking for life and spirituality without truth because they won't go through the way. The way. The way. You can't get to the truth, which is how you can make good decisions. Right? How do we make good decisions? You need accurate information. But if you're not in understanding truth, then... Your decision may be the best that you could make given the error that you're sitting in. In John 8, 31, 32, it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's curious is at the beginning of John, who is the word? Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you spend time in his word, if you meditate on what is true and pure, if you focus on the truth, it brings you into freedom. That word free, I didn't even write it in my notes because I can't pronounce it. I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's word 1659 in the Strong's for those of you that are... I was going to say nerdy enough to look it up, but for those of you that are Bereans... For the more spiritual folks. But it means to, sit, to make free, to set at liberty from the dominion of sin. So when you know Jesus, he sets you free from the dominion of sin. It has no power over you. Because in your spirit, you've been set free, but there's areas where our beliefs, what we believe is in error, and it allows the dominion, the sin to have dominion in that area. And it's why your spirit has to tell your soul, hey, focus on what's true. 
This is how the kingdom is going to work in your life so that you're able to express it. It's fascinating in doing, in kind of looking up the spirit of truth. John, out of all the gospels, out of all the New Testament, focuses on truth the most. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who wrote the book of John, kind of afterward, right? So you had the first three gospels, and then John came and was like, hey, I'm going to give you a little different spin on the story of Jesus' life. And he focuses, both in the book of John and in the, the letters at the end, on truth, truth, truth. I was surprised I had not picked that up in the other readings that I'd had, how much he focused on this. In John 16, 13, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. The spirit of truth will guide you. See, again, the New Age is trying to get around Jesus, and they get their, their own spirit guides that wander all over the place. As a Christian, you have a spirit guide. Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. We can't be afraid of some of the words that the New Age people use because we've got the truth. We have someone, a person. We have God who will lead us. And it's interesting in here because the spirit of truth is almost blended between Holy Spirit and Jesus because it's an attribute of God. And so God is truth. Sometimes we forget that facts and truth are separate. There's a fact. I'm six feet tall. The truth is, how big is my spirit? I don't know. Sometimes it's hard. We don't always get to perceive that. But there's, there's truth, right? The fact is, I have a medical diagnosis. The truth is, I am healed. Right? And so we have to let truth define our reality. Not that we ignore the facts. You look and you go, I see that fact. But it's, what is, what is the truth? Jesus, tell me the truth about who I am. The fact is, I may have been rejected by my family, but the truth is, I am accepted in the beloved. We have to let truth center us. In John 14, 17, it says, it's a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, and he speaks prophetically here and says, it will, he will be in you. Right? At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in you. You now have Jesus with you wherever you go. Holy Spirit guides you wherever you go. The world's trying to find truth and wholeness and peace without Jesus, the person of wholeness, truth, and peace. We're hardwired for a relationship with Jesus. But if you reject him, you try every other way, every other way to get to the same result because 
That's what God intended for us, was to walk in truth, to have life. There's more verses, but I want to just get to how, right? How do we walk this out? How does the truth set us free? In James 1, James 1, uh, 19 through 25, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hey, if we just stopped right there, wouldn't the world be a different place? <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to post on Facebook, slow to become angry. What makes you angry? Sometimes we're focused on items that don't lead us into truth. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. It's not that being angry is per se wrong, but human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Often we feel angry for two different reasons. One is we're afraid. And if I'm afraid, that makes me upset and, I, and I, it becomes more aggressive to protect ourselves from feeling fear. The other is injustice. Right? And there's a part where righteous anger sees injustice and says that is not right. But we struggle to have righteous anger well. Because we then project anger towards people rather than the principalities. We project the anger towards people rather than principalities. And so in this season where when we look at our culture, when you look through your social media feeds, there's so much anger that's directed towards people. And we go, we need to have solutions that go beyond just addressing that person. James goes on, right? So human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil. That is so prevalent. 2,000 years later, this is still true. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can sozo you. The word planted in you will save, heal, make whole, provide for you. I was having a conversation with uh, someone after the first gathering today, and we've been talking um, over the last month about business and how just because the economy may be in a recession doesn't mean your life is in a recession. that the creativity of God in you and the favor of God on you will provide opportunities for you so that even when things are hard, in general, you are thriving. And if we understand the truth of who we are and that we are seated in heavenly places and we have divine connection to pull on, then we can be a solution rather than just another voice saying, I need. 
The world is saying, I need, I need, I'm at loss, I don't have enough, I'm, I'm afraid. And you can say, I have courage, I have plenty, because I have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I can create solutions. You know, in the, in the Great Depression, there were more millionaires made than at any other time up to that point and for many years after. Because people could see solutions when other people just saw lack. Can we see solutions where other people just see lack? So how do we do this? How do we take this? All right, let me continue first in in, uh, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? We have so much more information today than ever before, and yet it seems like ignorance has run rampant. Data... Not, data doesn't solve problems. Wisdom solves problems. But wisdom requires action. If you heard a stock tip 20 years ago that said buy Amazon and you didn't take action, you still have nothing today. But there was an opportunity, but you had to take action. The knowledge by itself did not produce a result. Right? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. Who wants to be blessed in what they do, right? But you look into the perfect law. What is the perfect law? Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. When you look at Jesus, then you can see where you need to correct just a little bit. When you look in the mirror and you look for Jesus looking back at you, and you're kind of a little cockeyed, and you see him straight, you kind of go, let me straighten this part of my, my life. Let me align myself so that when I look in the mirror and I see Jesus looking back at me, there's a, there's a, a synergy. There's, it's, a, it's an accurate reflection. So there's three things that we can take away from this that I want to propose for you today. One, look in the mirror for Jesus and align yourself with his image, right? The problem is we're trying to get truth into society when we struggle with truth about us. You can't tell someone else who they are if you don't know who you are, right? We're trying to go, oh, you're like this, and you're like that, and it's like, who are you? Uh, Angry. I mean, that's kind of where a lot of people are. I don't really know, except I know what I don't want to be. You know, you'll never fulfill your full potential by knowing what you don't want to do. There has to be a for. Your life can't just be an against. It's got to be a for. The Christian life is what you're for. You're for Jesus. You're for his people. You're for the kingdom of God. Anti will not get you the righteousness of God. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. See, condemnation produces shame. You see the people that kind of 
They don't want to look you in the eye because they're afraid if you look deep enough, you'll see. And they don't, they don't know. They're afraid of what you'll see. But when you're confident of who Jesus is in you, you can look them in the eye and go, I want you to see Jesus' love. So we look in the mirror for Jesus. The second thing I would encourage you to do is ask better questions. If you ask the wrong question, even if you get the right answer, it's not the solution you are looking for. If you ask the wrong question, even if you get the right answer, you don't get the solution you're looking for. And sometimes we've spent all of our time asking the wrong questions and then wonder why we're still upset. You know, one that uh, I had some conversation with this week was like, what, what is Jesus? Was he black? Was he white? Was he brown? What, what was that? But even if you answer the question correctly, is it going to lead you to the solution that you hope for? And the, the question really should be, do I look like Jesus? Right? Because I, I want to be that reflection. And so we can, we can try to get into other questions and even if, like, even if we answer them right, is it going to produce the righteousness of God in me? Some of the questions that we maybe should ask, maybe during our, our responsive worship time, you want to ask the Lord these questions. What makes me angry? Right? Maybe the injustice is a call for you to take action. Maybe you need to run for politics. Maybe you need to be part of a citizen advisory board. Or maybe you're just really afraid and you need the peace of God. Nobody else can answer that question for you except you're encountering Jesus. What makes me sad? Right? Sometimes we, we say prayers like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And we just, we have this connection, this empathy and compassion for people that are hurting. And sometimes we're just so wounded by the past and we're mourning the past that we're missing how God is offering us healing right now. Right? Nobody else can answer these questions for you. Everybody gets an opportunity to engage with God. To say, Lord, what makes me angry? What makes me sad? What makes me afraid? Fear is a powerful motivator. We've seen it abused in the church. We've seen it abused in society. If I can make you afraid, I can make you do things to avoid the fear. But the word says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? God, how do I revere you? How do I honor you? How do I realize that in the continuum of power, the person that I may be afraid of here is in no way compared to the power that God has? So I go, wow, God, you are really powerful. But then you realize he's for you. And you go, Who, why should I be afraid? What can man do to me? Ha. Huh. Some of you need to get that. 
The fear of man, the fear of your boss, the fear of your peers judging you, the fear of rejection. Church, if we could deal with rejection, we would be on fire for God. It would be life-changing if you knew that you were accepted, that, that no matter, the, if you make a poor choice, it doesn't mean you're out of the family. You can make mistakes with God without fear. Because you can risk, you can try. You're like, God, I think you're saying this. And if you get it wrong, there's not like, I'm out. Right? Some of us grew up in families like that. If you make a mistake, you're dead to me. God's not like that. That's not your father in heaven. He says, I see you, and I see you trying. I see you do, like trying to hear. And maybe you've got too much worldly earwax in your ear that just needs a little cleaning. But if you spend time in the Word, the Word cleanses us. It shows us. It, it clarifies us. It allows us to go, God, I'm hurt here. I feel rejection here. And he says, I see you. I love you. Spend time with me, and I will make a, an exchange at the cross for you. I paid for it for you. I said it last week, but you have your Father's eyes. Wrecks me every time. You can see things the way he sees them. You can see you the way he sees you. Because you can't see anybody else the way he sees them until you see you the way he sees you. you only knew how God saw you. Your picture's on his fridge. I mean, he's so proud. He sees the pain that you went through. He was there every dark night. Church, if we don't get this, we keep going, I want, I want revival in my city. I want to, we'll do more worship. That's okay, that's good. But if you don't get this in your heart, it, another worship set just to hear music is not going to do it. If you don't have the encounter with God, listening to a song isn't going to do it. It's your heart that says, I've heard God in this time of worship. That is what sets me free. That's what allows me to go out. We got to make sure that we're dealing with the heart issues. Last step from James is to take action, right? In verse 25, whoever looks into the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. You know, you act consistent with your beliefs. In the court of law, they have this thing called hearsay. You may have heard it on law and order criminal minds or whatever. But hearsay is an out-of-court statement that's brought into court as proof of what they've said, but the person who said it's not in court. So you can't cross-examine them. The number one example that I got um, in law school was hearsay would be 
This guy says his boat is seaworthy. He says, my boat's seaworthy. But if he's not there, you can't ask him, well, why? Why do you think that? But you can say, he got in the boat and he drove it out into the bay. You can assume he thought it was seaworthy because any rational person would not get in a boat that's not seaworthy. Now, he may be wrong in the boat sank. But his belief was consistent. His actions were consistent with this belief. Right? And your actions are consistent with what you typically deeply believe. You can say, I trust Jesus, but if you have tremendous anxiety and fear, there's a disconnect somewhere that says, the way I'm acting is not consistent with the truth and the truth of God that will set you free from fear and anxiety is an understanding of your identity. The problem with hating hate is you're still a hater. And if you succeed in what you do, there will only be one hater left, and it's you. Again, we can't be anti. We need to address what's wrong, but we've got to come at it the right way. Because if we get the right result and we're consumed in the process, what price did we pay for that? Albert Einstein said we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them, right? We need a divine solution to the problems. We've got to go to a different level. If our problem is hate, how do we bring love into this? Philippians 4.19, as I wrap this up today. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do we not need that today? We need to deal with anxiety. We don't want to be anxious we need to pray. We need to give thanks. We need to present our requests because there's some things in society that have to change. But I would propose to you that as hard as things are, this is still the best time in the history of man to be alive. It's not perfect. That's why we still have issues to deal with. But where else would you rather be than here? I mean, just toilets and AC like that's a game changer for me. But I mean, we've got some of the best health care options available ever. Stuff that was killing people for millennia we can deal with. We have luxuries beyond what kings desired. This, sometimes the enemy lies to us and says, the world's getting worse. What if it's getting better? What if we have solutions that are going to take us to the next level? I was speaking to a high school graduating class on Friday, and it was like, you've got the solutions. The reason every generation looks at their parents and goes, 
I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to do it better. Good. That's how the next generation is taking us up. That's how we have the, the, the technology that we have. It's because people looked around and said, I'm not happy with the way things are. I want things to be better. So just because our status quo gets challenged doesn't mean it's bad. We have to challenge the status quo to go, God, how do we do this better? How does a rising tide lift all boats? Right? Paul goes on in Philippians. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? He doesn't tell you what not to think about, right? He says, you don't want to be anxious? Focus on this. You can't avoid, think about avoiding anxiety to get rid of anxiety. It has to be displaced with the truth. You can't just get rid of a lie. It's got to be displaced with the truth. So he said, Jesus, what is true? What is true about me? What is true about this situation? it says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that what we want? The God of peace to be with us? Think on these things. When you find yourself feeling anxious, go back. This is, this is the prescription that the doctor would write for you. You can take the medicine, but change your thinking. So if we summarize Philippians, rejoice, pray, think on the excellent. Right? We've got to move into a place of enforcing the kingdom. The thing is, as we, as we grow in our spiritual walk, we, uh, we learn, we're, we're listening for Holy Spirit, but if you just have your spiritual dish kind of tuned, I've noticed a lot of our, my friends, a lot of the church has picked up all the anger and anxiety and fear that's out there. That's the principality that's pushing right now. And if you don't pay attention and realize that what you're feeling is actually just being picked up by you and it's not coming from you, you're able to then go, no. I'm able to tune in to the frequency of heaven. And I'm able to then enforce around me, right? The kingdom of God advances. How? Through you enforcing the kingdom in your home, in your work, in your school. Wherever you go, you are bringing kingdom space. This is how we're going to change the atmosphere of Tampa. It's you going out enforcing peace. I'm not going to participate in anxiety. I'm not going to participate in fear. I'm going to bring divine solutions. We can do this. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. Our hope is you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of everything you hear. For more great resources like this, go to trptampa.com.